Recorded live. Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio. Today is Friday, September 23rd, 2011. Episode 220 is being broadcast from our studio in McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. My name is Cliff Slotnick or the Z-Man. My co-host Radio Joe Hughes is teaching a remediation course in Richmond, Virginia and is going to be participating remotely. And at the controls, we have our engineer, Austin Stone Cold Novak. Today's segments include the IAQ Radio Trivia Question, an interview with today's guests, Gary Dietrich and Paul Jacks of Safely Out in Sacramento, California. We'll have a brief halftime announcement, and then we'll do Roundup. And today we also have our technical director, Dr. Dieter Weil. Check out our Facebook page, IAQ Radio Program. I write and post a blog after each show. Check it out at our website, www.iaqradio.com. Now it's time to thank our marquee sponsors. Our newest marquee sponsor is Net Claims Now, a firm providing insurance billing for the restoration industry. Learn more about their fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing services at www.netclaimsnow.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. To listen to the show live, follow the link on your invitation or go to our website, iaqradio.com. The show can also be downloaded from the website and is available through iTunes. Don't forget that you can earn ABIHCM points, IICRC, Continuing Education Credits, or ACAC Renewal Credits by emailing Radio Joe and requesting the quiz. Radio Joe's email is joe.use at iaqtraining.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training website for the schedule of the training courses that you trust at iaqtraining.com. Win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IEQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IEQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Email it to czlotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, text in your answer. Congratulations. To Andy Krasowski, Comcast Metals, and Mars PA for being the first listener to provide Carpet Monsters and Killer Spores as the title of the book, Mycologist Nick Money, which was discussed on the second episode of IEQ Radio. The IQ Radio trivia question for Friday, 
September 23rd has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restores and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Now for this week's trivia question. What event in 2005 caused the largest evacuation in U.S. history and the third largest peacetime evacuation in the world in modern history? Today's guests are Gary Dietrich and Paul Jacks with Safely Out. I'll introduce Gary first. Gary Dietrich graduated Phi Beta Kappa from the University of California with an emphasis in, in domestic and international affairs and received his master's degree from the John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard. He was awarded a prestigious California State Senate Fellowship, served as a staff member to the California Assembly and the State Senate, and has worked on campaigns from legislative to presidential. He now serves as a widely respected nonpartisan broadcast political analyst and has appeared on state, national, and international radio and television. In addition, he is the co-founder and president of Citizen Voice, a new nonpartisan movement to involve citizens in the public arena and protect the vulnerable. He is an accomplished professional speaker, having addressed thousands of youth and adults regarding the impact of politics, public policy, and government on their lives, their state, and their nation, and what they themselves can do to bring about effective change. Our second guest from Safely Out is Paul Jacks, Project Consultant. Paul comes to Safely Out after directing Fritz Institute's Bay Area Preparedness Initiative, known as Bay Prep, a program focused on improving the disaster preparedness of nonprofit organizations serving the disabled and people with functional and access needs in the San Francisco Bay Area. Paul took this position after retiring from the state of California after more than 31 years of service. During his career with the state, Paul spent 20 years with the Governor's Office of Emergency Services, now the California Emergency Management Agency, and serving eight years as an appointed Deputy Director under Governors Davis and Schwarzenegger. As a Deputy Director, Paul had at various times overall executive management authority for the office's preparedness, response, recovery, and mitigation operations. Paul still serves as a member of the California Volunteers Commission, a position to which he was appointed by Governor Schwarzenegger in 2006. Paul possesses extensive disaster-related experience and will work on strategies to engage the philanthropic and volunteer sectors to expand the Safely Out project. Gary, Paul, thank you for joining us on IAQ Radio, and we have a little intro music for you. Okay, Gary, uh, what's your real job? <laughs> and by the way, thanks for the high-energy intro music, no my problem. friend. That's no a, that'll, that'll get the blood flowing here this morning. Uh, well, listen, I have, really have two jobs. I, I suppose you could say I wear two hats. One is, you mentioned I still function as a broadcast political analyst. In fact, I was on this morning talking about last night's big Republican presidential debate in Florida. So I do that. That's an important role that I play. Uh, and it gives us a tremendous amount of visibility for the Safely Out project, too. My second job is as the co-founder and president of Citizen Voice, this new nonprofit, as you mentioned. And we do a number of things, including nonpartisan voter education. But one of our big major projects is Safely Out, which was born, in fact, in the aftermath of Katrina. And so I, I spend an awful lot of time heading up a, an expert team, one of whom we've got on today, in Paul Jacks, making sure that our most vulnerable can be safely evacuated after any natural and man-made disaster. Joe? Hello, Gary. Thanks again for joining us. I'm, I'm curious. I, I hear you right that safely out start after Katrina? That's correct. Actually, the way this all went down is interesting, Joe. I, as a broadcaster and as a president of Citizen Voice, when we saw, as we all did, those horrific images on TV, I mean, I couldn't believe when I'm seeing American seniors being floated out on mattresses, of course, 5,000 kids separated from their parents. It's just unbelievable. And, of course, in a state like California, I was born and raised in the Bay Area. I mean, it's disaster central when you talk about 
earthquakes and floods and everything else. I said, you know, I got to go down there. I got to see for myself what's actually happening and see what we can do about it through Citizen Voice and let the people of California, especially the capital region here, know how we can help. So the bottom line is I uh, put my broadcast uh, situation together, said I'm going down there to the Gulf, contacted our local Red Cross chapter here in the capital, said how quickly can you get me down there as boots on the ground because I don't want to be one more broadcast guy. Boy, this is horrible. Okay, tomorrow I get to go home to sunny California. So I got trained as an actual Red Cross volunteer, went there and spent 10 days after Hurricane Katrina and when Hurricane Rita actually hit Louisiana, and we had to evacuate the lower third of the state. After I came back, I, I, we partnered with our Red Cross folks as technical experts and developed Safely Out, which was designed to make sure that, again, the most vulnerable, frail seniors, people with disabilities, folks um, with young children, make sure that they have assistance that they need and the notification system through the Safely Out kit to get out safely during any disaster. Val, would you like to ask a question? Uh, sure. I was wondering, was there an aha moment when you conceived the idea for Safely Out? Well, I'll tell you what it was, Val, and it was real simple. You know, you saw the photos, people trying to break holes in their roofs, you know, wave white T-shirts over their heads to get help. In fact, we had... The, the Sacramento Fire Chief, we launched the project actually on the first anniversary of Katrina, end of August 2006, at Arco Arena here in Sacramento, where the Kings have played for years. And uh, we did that because Sacramento was listed by FEMA as the number two city in the country next to New Orleans in terms of flood threat. Arco Arena itself could be under 20 feet of water in the event of a major levee break. And what happened was... When I was down there in the Gulf, what I realized, and so many realized, not just me, obviously, was that the people that really struggled were the folks that couldn't get out themselves. So our Sacramento fire chief said, Gary, I sent dozens of my guys down, several of our inflatable boats, and all we had was fluorescent cans of spray paint with the ability to knock on doors, hope somebody came, and if they didn't, we put an orange X on it. And the aha moment, Val, was the realization that I heard from so many. Look, we checked some of these homes four or five times and maybe an elderly person was out and back, couldn't hear us. Maybe they already had a, a functional problem. And so what we realized was, look, we have to get help to the most vulnerable. They can't, not only can they not shelter themselves in many cases, they can't even get out themselves. Paul, how does California stack up among other states in terms of the number of natural disasters, you know, which have occurred over the years and which would occur annually? Well, I think that if you look at um, FEMA's um, you know website, they have very specific statistics. But I think it's very safely say it's very safe to say that California is up there. I think in the top three in terms of the number of declared uh, disasters since they started and keeping the records back in about 1950 or something like that. And so we are a very disaster-prone state. The other thing that's very significant about California, unlike you know several states out there that maybe have a lot of disasters. Every part of California, um, you know, gets hit with something. We have the wildfires. We have the floods. We have ice storms. We have heat waves. You know, we have earthquakes. We have tsunami. You know, so, you know, some people have referred to California as being the Disneyland of disasters because of our excessive disaster history. Okay. Uh, Joe? Yeah, Gary, I'm, I'm curious. You, you had the aha moment. You realized that people needed help. What's the game plan? How how do you plan on how to safely out plan to help make sure this doesn't occur in the future? Is it just in California or is it a national program? Is my follow up. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that, Joe. And well, let me uh, I'll take that in just a second. What we did was we came back and said, okay, what are the practical things that actually are needed? What are the lessons learned from Katrina? All right. One of the first ones was how do you know who needs to get help? You know, how do you identify as you're going down blocks and blocks during a major disaster, who needs the help? And so we identified that and said, along with the Red Cross, let's design a notification system. So that's kind of one of the signature components of Safely Out is our door hanger. Red on one side, big block letters, need help. Uh, and so that, as our county sheriff here said, would be so helpful to he and his folks when they're triaging a neighborhood, when they're going down and deciding, look, we've got limited time, and many especially these flood situations, very limited time. How do we decide first pass through? Who do we need to get out right away? Flip the door hanger over. It says safely out. 
Uh, and we realize, you know, you also have to have a system that also saves first responders, neighbors, and caregivers time to know, hey, they're out safely. We can jump onto the next house. Third, how, where's the, where are the people evacuated to? If they've gotten out, where are they? We heard many times when I was in the Gulf, listen, our house is empty. We think grandma's out safe. We have no idea where she is. So on the bottom of the, of the safely outside, with a waterproof friendly included, is a place to put who evacuated them or helped that, where did they take them to, what's the contact number. And then fourth, you know, all, we're told we're all supposed to have our emergency contact information, next to kin, relatives, out-of-town folks, doctors. Where do we put all that? So we designed a refrigerator magnet with all that stuff on the magnet. It can be pulled off the fridge and taken with them. And finally, a, uh, a bag that goes in the fridge, logoed with a Safeway Out logo, so it's easy to pull out of there and identify, with people put their insurance cards, other things in there, so they're safe. When I was in the Gulf, I'll give you one little vignette, an elderly woman was at a Red Cross shelter. She was legally blind. She had her adult uh, developmentally disabled son with her. She had no record of, of next to kin. We were trying to say, well, I think I have a nephew in Los Angeles, dear, but I don't remember his ne name. I mean, excuse me, his number. She literally was giving strangers her ATM card and giving her PIN number so that they could help get food money for her son. So we id these things, put them all in one kit, very simple, very easy to use. Paul can speak to this eloquently because he's been in the disaster business for almost 30 years. But people have said this is an amazingly simple resource to help these people. To answer your second question quickly, the, the project has now gone statewide and even nationwide. We were proud to announce at RA's convention in uh, March in Colorado the DKI, uh, well-known to the in, uh, industry uh, you folks are with, uh, our first national sponsor for it. So the project has now moved nationwide, and we're tremendously excited about that. Our goal, eventually, a million kits out in California, 10 million in the U.S. Paul, would you like to follow up on, on Gary's comments? Yes, I would. I mean, I think that one thing I really love about the project and one of the reasons I got involved with it was the simplicity, you know, factor. And I think that, you know, Gary, you know, took those lessons from Katrina and applied them very well to something that's a very simple to use approach. You know, the Safely Out kit isn't meant to supplant other types of preparedness activities. We want people to go out there and get, you know, put together food supplies and, you know, things of that sort. We want people to have that family plan. This Safely Out kit really addresses the issue fundamentally of how to assist people in safely evacuating an area when they have to move very quickly. It's meant to be kind of, in a sense, used with these other types of preparedness approaches, you know, but the main focus here is on that safe evacuation, and I think it's a very effective approach. Uh, Val, would you like to ask another question? Sure. Um, I was wondering, what does Safely Out do that the Red Cross, FEMA, and emergency responders don't? Well, I'm going to let you take that one because this is, this is where you lived, worked, and breathed for decades. Yeah, I think once again, I mean, I think that, you know, it's important to understand, uh, well, a lot of my background, you know, as um, from the bio um, has been involved with government and, you know, big programs, big operations, and so forth. Quite frankly, you know, the, the big, you know, as you noted in your, um, in your question that opened um, the segment, you know, the, you know, if you look at Hurricane Katrina in one sense, it was a huge success in terms of numbers you know, people that were evacuated. The issue becomes, though, you know, what about these other folks that, in a sense, got left behind? And these were the people who had, you know, these, you know, special needs, you know, the vulnerable populations, people with access and functional needs. Now, there are groups out there that work with these groups and so forth. You know, they do a fine job, you know, the Red Cross, you know, government agencies and so forth. What Safely Out does, once again, is provide just a tool that, in a sense, helps those other organizations do their jobs. Joe, uh, Gary, either either Gary Gary or Paul, either way. I'm I'm curious. I'm just I'm amazed that you came up with the idea of putting this packet. If I understand it right, you put the packet in the refrigerator. Who came up with that idea? I think that's really really brilliant. Because most people have a refrigerator, it's pretty well, you know, uh, protected. Um, it's a small area, so you would know where it is. I mean, how did you come up with that idea? Well, you already hit on one of the key points, Joe, smart guy that you are. Here's the deal. What we learned about Katrina, and I've learned since learned, is, is become true. I've learned this from fire guys and others uh, who, who deal with uh, either a house fire or big disasters all the time. said, look, 
fridge is one of the safest places in your home. Now, we don't recommend you, you evacuate to the fridge, but the thing is airtight, watertight, fire-resistant. These fire guys said, you know, many times, the fridge is the only thing left. You'll open up a fridge, and there's contents are still in there after a disaster. So what we realized is, hey, it's central to the home. So, you know, everybody knows uh, most, most kitchens are kind of central to the home. It's, everybody knows where it is, easy to find. So therefore, refrigerator magnet goes on the fridge. The bag goes in the fridge. And that way, um, you know, it's easy to find, easy to locate. Part of the problem with a lot of people's emergency supplies, I'll just leave it at this, Joe, you know, is, you know, where are they? I mean, we get an emergency kit together, we've got to hunt around and find it. Oh, is it in this closet? And I think we moved it to the garage. The fridge, everybody knows where it is, easy to find, can withstand an awful lot in terms of a disaster, and people can still have the info. Gary, you've mentioned certain components of the kit, and you know perhaps you've mentioned them all, but could you just, for the listeners, go down and explain everything that's in the kit? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go really quickly because I've already mentioned some of them. The door hanger, again, kind of the signature piece. Uh, laminated to protect it from weather. I didn't mention this. We even include a, a little sticky in there, sort of somebody, as so often happens, like we saw in Katrina, people are already on the second floor, uh, to evacuate, or maybe their front door is not visible from the street, the sticker can help put the door hanger in a window. Need help on one side of the door hanger, big red side, flip it over, safely out. The refrigerator magnet that goes on the fridge, believe it or not, we stole that, <laughs> stole that idea from Bailey's Irish Cream that uses them as, as a um, recipe kind of deal and goes on the fridge. We said, hey, let's, let's repurpose this thing and use it as a disaster deal. So it goes on the fridge, it's accordion-like, it pulls out. Then also that same information, People can carry this card around with them, whether it's, you know, grandma going to the store or whatever. So they've got that emergency information with them 24-7. And then, of course, the bag we mentioned. And finally, and equally as important as the people side, we haven't mentioned yet, part of the Safeway Out project and part of this uh, notification and information kit is finding three people nearby to be Safely Out helpers to make sure that before they leave the neighborhood, they commit in advance, a little one-page sheet we give them, here's what it's about, before you leave the neighborhood, would you please check on, for example, my mom, Mrs. Dietrich, who lives alone a couple miles from San Andreas Fault in the, in the uh, Bay Area. So that's what the kit's about. Those, those three information sheets go to three Safely Out helpers. The, the magnet goes on the fridge. The bag goes in the fridge. Door hanger is held, hung on the inside of the door, ready to go. It's that simple. Okay, Gary. What are some of the other experiences of the people who operate and manage safely out besides um, you and Paul? Yeah, Gary, are you still there? I got. I am. I am still here. Okay, let me let me keep going. What occasionally happens is we have some problems with Skype at the studio, and. The show will continue to go on. It will continue to be recorded, but it may take a minute for Cliff to get back in. So why don't we continue talking, and then we'll, we'll, we'll uh, hopefully hear from Cliff here in just a moment. Very but, good. Um, what I wanted to do is ask Paul a question. Uh, Paul, with, all, with your vast experience in, in the disaster management world, what was your biggest fear as the, the person in charge of this? Uh, was it a, a major flood? Was it a, a tsunami? Was it a hurricane? Or I don't know if you get hurricanes in California, but you know, what was your biggest concern? What was the, the worst case scenario for you? In California, um, you know, our biggest concern um, is a large-scale seismic event, an earthquake. And the reason for that is because it's a no-notice event. We're always very envious of our um, you know, our fellow emergency management personnel on the East Coast, because when they have these hurricanes coming and so forth, they have multiple days to prepare. With a major earthquake, you don't have that. It's an instantaneous um, event, and all of a sudden you're immediately having to deal with the effects. And so that is, you know, really where a lot of our planning goes. That's a lot of where our concern is. How big of a, a department was that group you worked with? The um, California Emergency Management Agency is, I, I believe, it's, it's the largest emergency management, it's the largest state-level emergency management organization in the country. It's about 600 people. Um, it's been as large after the Northridge earthquake that we had out here in 1994. At that point, it was about 700, 800 people. You know, it's down to about 600 now. It's a very large office. Welcome to talk show. Have you had Please a lot of the uh, call cuts ID, as a result of the, the tightening team. of the belt? 
you know, we've had, um, you know, you they, I should say they, so I, you know, I'm retired, but they have had some cuts. But thankfully, pin, they've been able to, um, to use um, federal funding, you know, to support a lot of the functions within the office. And so they've been able to avoid some of the cuts. Your pin was not recognized. Gary, okay, so I want to talk a little bit more users, about safety. You know, this occurred right after Katrina. And since Katrina, there haven't been as many hurricanes as, as I expected. And I guess there's a lot of people. The call. Recorded live. You are unmuted. Can you give us a little more background on that? Yeah, sure, absolutely, Joe. You know, uh, actually, it has been growing exponentially year by year. And the reasons are ones that you guys have already talked about. And that is Katrina still sticks in everybody's mind as a signature kind of wake-up call event. But it's so interesting because Paul enumerated a lot of the different kinds of disasters we face in California. And, you know, it's interesting. We find that it doesn't matter who we're talking to around the country. They're concerned about something. So, for example, when we had a, a uh, group of 1,500 state legislators from around the country, the American Legislative Exchange Committee, endorsed this kind of a project at their national policy meeting in D.C. a year and a half ago that I spoke at, the guy who sponsored it was from Oklahoma. state legislator from Oklahoma said, man, I really love this because we've got winter storms that are really concerned for us. Obviously, we haven't mentioned one of their big concerns, tornadoes. So it seems, you know, it's, it's real obvious, I think, to most people. You cannot find a corner of our entire country. And in fact, we have people outside of the U.S. now interested in the project who aren't concerned about disasters. And so this, both, both the awareness of disasters, I think, and then secondly, what Paul mentioned, the simplicity of Safely Out, the ease of getting it into people's hands, and the ease of use has really caused our project to, and the kind of bottoms-up neighbor-helping-neighbor approach, which is, you know, nothing could be more American than that. Uh, really has appealed to people. And so we've gotten tremendous support from the private sector, from the public sector, from faith-based and non-profit groups. And so the thing's grown by leaps and bounds. It truly is. Well, let's go into a little more of the the nuts and bolts. Um, How do groups get involved? Obviously, you get the word out with shows like this, et cetera, but how do you get these public, private, and non-profit groups involved? And then once somebody expresses an interest in the project, you know, what's the process from there? Sure. Well, let me talk a little bit about your industry to start with because that's close to home for the folks that are talking here about the restoration industry and folks connected with it. You know, we had actually people in the restoration industry come to us here in the state capital area when, we, when it began uh, hitting the media that this project had been launched. And they said, you know what, this is such a perfect fit for our industry are, you know, a lot of our people would love to get involved in a nonprofit. And Citizen Voice is a nonprofit, the Safely Out Project, a nonprofit project. They said, you know, there's a lot of different nonprofit opportunities out there, but this is a perfect fit. So, for example, with the Restoration Institute, we began speaking. We've been to three of the RA conventions. We, uh, we've been featured in RA Magazine twice. And, uh, you know, people just started getting to know about it and said, we want to become sponsors. We had one guy step up with a check for $25,000, a member of the Restoration Industry. That afforded, uh, got kits out to school kids all over the Natomas area, flood-prone area. So there's one example in the, in the private sector. In the, in the public sector, I want Paul to speak to that a little bit, because that's his daily work, you know, how uh, we approach county and state government and why this has been appealing to them. Paul? Yes, I, I, think, this, I think one of the things that um, attracted me to the program, another you know, important thing that attracted me to the program was the whole partnership aspect. And that has been, I think, key to the expansion of Safely Out. You know, as Gary said, you know, we, you know, we work very closely with the restoration industry and, and other private sector kind of corporation-type partners. But, you know, we have very strong support from this at the state level here in California, also at the local government level. And the big factor there is the fact that people look at this thing, they say, wow, this is simple, you know, it's effective, it's very straightforward, um, it's not complicated for people to, to deal with. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's a very helpful tool, you know, for the first responder community. And so government agencies love it. You know, we've had good support from the philanthropic community that, that look at this as something that, that is worthy, you know, to put their dollars behind. Once again, we are a private nonprofit. Uh, and I think the other real important piece in terms of expanding Safely Out has been the support from organizations working, you know, with, um, you know, the disabled, you know, working with people with access and functional needs out there, community-based, 
faith-based organizations um, that see this as something that support their clients. And so, you know, that's really, those are the kind of groups that really are helping to push this thing, you know, to the next level. And so, Joe, here's, good job, Paul. Here, here's how it actually happens. We, we present the idea to somebody or they come to us, which happens just this week, and we say, hey, okay, here's how it works. For $10 a kit, that's what it costs to produce the kits and get them out the door and do the publicity and all that. For $10 a kit, we, you can sponsor kits. Sometimes it's simple. We have restoration companies now sponsoring like $150, $200 a month. They'll write a check uh, as part of us. For, for that, we'll, help, we'll get the kits. We'll help you uh, identify a group that needs them or wants them, be it seniors, be it people with disabilities, families with young children. We'll make sure in partnership with those existing groups as possible. We don't reinvent the wheel with that. We go to people that already work with folks who are, who are vulnerable and say, would you like these kits? Invariably, they go, wow, this would be so awesome for our folks. We'd love to help you distribute them. They distribute them. It's a win-win-win. It's a win for the sponsor. They get tremendously positive recognition. They feel like they're actually doing something concrete and helping people. It's a win for the vulnerable because they now have a tool for disasters that they never had before. And it's a win for the Safe Without Project because through these kind of partnerships, we've expanded to where now 75,000 kits have already been distributed. Another 50,000 will go out in the next 12 months. And um, so it's through those kind of partnerships of linking people who want to sponsor kits to those who need them. That's our job. Curious guys, do you have a? I'm sure you have some kind of research that would show you how many people in the country. We've got what 350 million, I believe, around there. How many people in the country kind of fit the category of people that would be the elderly, the disabled, and the the people that need this type of service? You say you've got maybe 75,000 going out now. Is your goal, you know, uh, a million, uh, two million, five million? What's what's the goal? But well, here's a good metric that shows you where we started. Because we started right here uh, in the state capital of California. And the Sacramento Bee, the newspaper record for this area, did a fantastic job following Katrina of doing a demographic breakdown of the million-plus people in the Sacramento region. And actually, if you make it larger, probably a million and a half. They identified about 150,000 Joes that they said, you know what? You These people would have trouble evacuating themselves during a disaster. So... Uh, you know, for the SAC region, that was about 10% uh, of, the, of the folks. We've, we've sort of said, well, some of those folks are going to already live with others that can help them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we've set a very simple goal. In California, here we've got about 30 million people. We said, let's get a million safely out kits out in California. That's a good benchmark start. First, we had 100,000 going here for the Sacramento region. We're already halfway there with 50,000 uh, already having gone out. So that's our goal, 100,000 in the SAC region. A million in California, and eventually, Joe, 10 million in the U.S. Joe, do you want to stop for halftime? Oh, great. Cliff, you're back. Okay. okay. I wasn't sure if you were still there or not. Our association sponsors are the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, NADCA, is the leading authority for information on HVAC inspection, cleaning, and restoration. Visit NADCA at www.nadca.com. The Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental and consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at johndon, J-O-N-D-O-N, 
Facts.com. And, of course, Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfactswithanx.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. We don't want to forget our newest marquee sponsor, Net Claims Now, a firm providing insurance billing for the restoration industry. Learn more about their fire, water, mold, and reconstruction billing services at www.netclaimsnow.com. Joe, I've got one just short news story. RPM International Inc., which makes Rust-Oleum as well as industrial coatings, sealants, and building materials, said yesterday that it will buy Legend Brands, a company that offers restoration and cleaning products. Financial terms were undisclosed. Legend Brands, based in Burlington, Washington, is made up three of three units. Dries Products, which makes tools for water damage restoration and environmental control, Pro Restore Products, which makes odor, smoke, and microbial control products, and Sapphire Scientific, which makes carpet cleaning products. RPM, based in Medina, Ohio, traditionally focuses on protecting buildings from outside elements, but this acquisition will extend its products to restoring property when elements infiltrate a structure, said RPM CEO Frank Sullivan. Okay, Joe, back to you. Okay. Guys, what I'd like to do is um, I want to turn this back to Val for a moment. Val, did you have anything? I know I kind of monopolized things for a little bit there. Did you have anything that you wanted to add? Yeah. Um, I didn't know if you had mentioned, but I was just wondering, where is the Safely Out headquartered at? We are right here in the state capital of Sacramento. That's where we, that's where we launched. Well, that's where Citizen Voice is based. And, again, uh, almost providentially, it was significant because uh, of Sacramento's vulnerability so akin to Katrina's. Gary, do you have any examples of how the Safely Out program has made a difference following a disaster? Well, I'll tell you one that's very interesting, and that is that right we had the Angora fire up at Tahoe. It got an awful lot of attention because Tahoe, a legendary place. And so three summers ago, when that fire broke out, and most people kind of poo-pooed it first. Yeah, it's not going to be that big a deal. Well, it just raged out of control. I mean, to the point where people were really deeply concerned that it was going to have dramatic impacts on the population up there. So what happened was we had just had, it was just really interesting, we had one of the major faith-based organizations, a major church in Sacramento, had hosted us about a month earlier. And believe it or not, and I spoke at all three of their services, and they collected $25,000 for 2,500 safely out that they were going to distribute around their church area. When this whole fire thing broke out, this is what we did. I got on the phone that day. I said, look, things look like they're getting out of control up there. I know you were thinking about originally using these for folks right around your church area. Could we take a couple thousand of these up with us to Tahoe? We're going to the big community meeting tonight that they're going to have at South Shore. They said, absolutely, Gary, do it. So we put our volunteer team together. We had our, another guy who's a key on our, our team, Jerry Kalibas, very experienced with local government folks and disaster management, former disaster manager for the city of Sacramento, went up there with us. And we went to that community meeting, went to the front doors of that big community meeting, people coming in with tears streaming down their face. We put a safe way out kid in every person's hand who walked in there. The next day we went on the fire line where they were still fighting fires up the people's back doors and dropped one on everybody's front doorstep. This is kind of a strike team concept that we're developing that we're going to use going forward. Here's what happened. A week later, we came back through. The place was kind of still smoldering. We saw a Safeway Out sign hanging on people's doors. And that to us was like, yes, this is what it's all about. And so that, that's just a great example of, you know, we hope will be going forward an incredibly useful tool for those involved in disasters. Gary, who puts the kits together, and logistically, where do you store all the materials necessary for the kits? Well, this, putting the kits together is an absolutely great story. Paul, why don't you take that? Um, you know, well, I think that, you know, once again, I think one of the great, you know, um, pieces of the Safety Out story is the fact that we use, you know, Pride Industries, which is a local, um, you know, business group here in the Sacramento area that employs um, people with disabilities, um, and you know, we use them to you know do this kit assembly, and I, I, they also can do some storage for us as well. And I think that it's great to, to employ people with access and functional needs in the actual production, um, you know, of the kits. 
Pride is a great story in and of themselves. Real quickly, I'll give you 10 seconds on it. They are the largest or one of, if not the largest employer. They're a nonprofit corporation. One of the largest employers of people with disabilities in the U.S. They employ almost 3,000. We also, through the generosity of a restoration uh, uh, industry member, got safely out kits to every one of their employees as well. And so it's just such a great thing to walk in there and see people who are very, well, very challenged themselves in many ways, actually putting together kits for those who are as challenged as they are. Gary, have you ever thought of licensing this to someone like Red Cross, you know, like a, a big organization who could take this nationally, uh, you know, very, very quickly? Well, we actually spoke to the Red Cross uh, to the local chapter about us, and believe it or not, they discouraged us from doing so. Paul can speak more eloquently than I can about the Red Cross and how they're structured. But it's interesting because an organization like that, people think of it as a giant monolithic national organization, but it's not. It's made up of, of local chapters all over the country. And what we were told was very interesting, that in order for that to happen, you have to get the okay from every national chapter to take it into their area. So, Paul, you may want to say more about that, but we really found sort of the independence. And also, I'll say something else. We didn't have any access to ground. We don't have any history. We don't have any skeletons in the closet. We've been able to pull people together, I think, in a fairly unprecedented way. Paul, do you want to speak to that? Well, I, I just I think you covered it pretty well. I mean, I think that it's important to understand that the chapters are very independent. Um, you know, it's very difficult to, to move, you know, a product like this, you know, nationally through, through them, you know, through the Red Cross. Okay. And so here's what we've discovered is that uh, we're partnering now with some real big players. We're talking with and have been talking with major retailers nationally. Uh, as I already mentioned, DKI, one of the biggest members. I mean, almost 200 affiliate members of DKI nationally. We've talked with other major organizations, certainly not only Cal EMA, but we now have people who've talked about taking this nationally through FEMA. So we are, I'd say we're growing at a very rapid rate. And what we want to make sure is that this project is sustainable, that nobody co-ops it for sort of monetary means. So we have trademarked everything because we, we don't want some, you know, shyster to go out there and try to start making a buck off of this on, you know, to the detriment of seniors and others who are unlimited income. So we are, I'd, I'd say we're going at a very appropriate rate and a rate that, and, and also the capacity to, as I say, move the needle in the media that few have. I mean, we've gotten so much media attention uh, through this project and others that, uh, that very few have the ability to, to do. So we're excited about the, the trend line. Joe? Yes, uh, Gary, I'm curious, have you talked to any of the big franchise operations? I've got some people in class now from ServPro and ServiceMaster, and, and I'm wondering if, if they, you know, they do a lot of national advertising. Would you have a problem if a big group like that approached you and said, we'd, we'd like to support you, but then at the end of our ad, we'd like to say, Proud sponsors of the state without program or something like that. Have you have you looked into something like that? Yeah, we, we've begun we've begun discussions with some of those organizations, but we welcome all comers. So if anybody is listening today or has contact in those organizations, we say bring it on. I mean, one of the things that you get involved in a project like this, it's sort of a um, it's sort of an embarrassment of riches. There's so many people to talk to, so many people that are interested. Paul and I were just down this week in Los Angeles at the big Southern California Emergency Preparedness Month, which September is, event. Uh, and we, we representatives of a major retailer down there, came up to us after I spoke at the podium. We're really interested. It's almost like, uh, you know, we're on such a tremendous growth phase. We just say, hey, anybody that's interested, come on, join the party. You can get on the bus. We'd love to have you. What sort of annual budget? do you have at this particular point, and how is Safely Out funded? Well, Safely Out funded through, as we've talked about, a variety of sources. So you've got, you've got a real breadth of private, public, nonprofit, state-based, and even individuals. People can even order these kits online, safelyout.org. They can go order them individually. We've had people order these kits from as far away as places like Chicago and Hawaii. Our annual budget right now about a half a million dollars. Okay. Um, that has been growing rapidly in the last couple of years, and we expect as the growth trends continue that it's going to do that. We were fortunate to receive uh, just in the last couple of months a two-year half-million-dollar grant from Cali EMA alone. And the reason is very simple, as Paul may want to say a word about this, but it's difficult 
Because a lot of money just gets spent. Paul, I'll let you take this question. A lot of money gets spent in security and disasters. Uh, I think people are finding this is one of the best ways to do it. Paul, I want you to speak to that a little bit. Once again, you know, oftentimes I think government is focused on big solutions for big problems and, you know, will oftentimes overlook more simple solutions. And I, I'm, I've been very pleased with the fact that the California Emergency Management Agency has, um, you know, seen the benefit of the Safety Out program and has chosen to, to invest substantially um, in it. And we've also had very strong support here locally uh, with Sacramento County, the Department of Water Resources here, that's also provided um, a considerable, you know, contribution to Safely Out. So, you know, it's it, it's funny. I mean, once again, coming from you know a long career in government, uh, it's it's very easy for government to um, overlook the more simple approaches to, to problems. What sort of corporate structure does um, Safely Out have? Does this is it freestanding? Is it a nonprofit organization? Is it a you know? Is it a five hundred one c three, a five hundred one c six? What sort of corporate structure do you use, Gary? Yeah, you you hit it exactly on. We're a federally registered five hundred one c three. So you know we do all we jump through all the hoops that everybody else has to with those. We file documents every year with the IRS that are public uh, about our goals, our budget. Safely Out is actually a project of the larger organization we mentioned at the beginning, Citizen Voice, which is a very simple concept. I mean, people so much complaining these days about everything, at every level. We said, look, let's give citizens an opportunity to be involved in substantive ways, especially on behalf of those who have trouble helping themselves, that is, the vulnerable. So Safely Out is one of our projects under the Citizen Voice 501c3 umbrella, a nonprofit organization. Um, and we've been in existence, uh, well, next year will have been 10 years. Okay. Well, that's as good as you can get. I think that, you know, RIA is familiar because they have a 501c3, and that means you're a charitable organization, and people that donate to you can, can write it off as a charity. So that's a, uh, that's a unique uh, accomplishment. Uh, Absolutely. Let me just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Let me just say this. This is important for people just to hear. One of the things we talk about a lot, with Safe Without and Citizen Voice is the heart behind it. You know, a lot of people have good ideas. There's nothing wrong with a profit motive. I mean, that, that makes our economy hum. But, you know, at the end of the day, when you're working with the vulnerable and when you're working with people in catastrophes, you've got to remember, why am I in this thing? So people like Paul, look, Paul Jackson and other consultants like them, these people are professionals of the, you know, A-plus degree. They could be making a lot more money with the hours they spend with us doing other things. But you know what? At the end of the day, these people are people that care. And so are every one of our folks that sponsor us. They say, you know what? We want to do this. We want to make an investment. Yeah, we'll get a charitable deduction, but we want to make a difference in our community, our state, and our nation. I think it's just important to remember that because in our day when everybody's all focused on, well, what was us with the economic situation, it's important, to, it's important to forget, not forget, that for the price of a movie ticket for 10 bucks, you may save somebody's life on a disaster for a safe way out kit. Absolutely. Uh, Joe? Paul, Paul I, w- I wonder if you could talk to our listeners a little bit about, you know, as someone who was directly involved with disaster restoration at the state level, can you just give us a little idea of how difficult it is or, or what the challenges are in coordinating all the not-profits, the uh, the fire departments, the, the government, uh, whether it be federal, state, or local resources, and maybe an idea of, you know, where the bulk of the real help comes from. Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I would say that one thing that we learned out out here in California early on, um, you know, was the need for, you know, good coordination. Um, and that's easy to say much hard to accomplish. In California, it took a major fire uh, back in 1991 to really push the state forward into doing something about that problem. You know, we had the Oakland Hills fire, which was a huge fire at that time. It was our, up to that point, it was our largest. Over 3,200 homes were burned in the Oakland Hills. Um, and so what happened is, um, you know, one of the houses that got burned actually belonged to a, a California state senator. And so he, um, you know, really pushed you know, some legislation to try to improve things because he saw that a big problem in terms of that response was the lack of effective coordination 
you know, between the different levels of government. And so we um, pushed through what was called the Standardized Emergency Management System, SIMS, in California, which forced um, government organizations to use ICS, Instant Command System. You know, it, it started looking at issues of communication um, and so forth. And it started really trying to standardize an approach, you know, to disaster response in California. I'm happy to say that our approach was so successful here that it actually got picked up by the federal government um, after 911 when they developed the National Instant Management System, which was really, you know, which copied, you know, quite frankly, um, a lot of the good features from our standardized emergency management system out here. You know, coordination is always a problem. I think the next frontier really is the coordination between the public and private sectors. And everybody's been talking about that really for the last few years. In California, one thing that's happened is, you know, we've looked at, um, you know, um, developing uh, what we call a business, um, um, well, it's a business and utilities operations center at the state operations center here in uh, Sacramento. And that was, you know, it mauled after efforts in several other states to bring in the private sector directly um, into the operations center and to make them part of, you know, response operations. And I think we've had some really good success out here in California with that. And I know that they've had similar good success out there in Florida, I think down in Texas as well. Um, you know, I think that, you know, it's really important to, you know, I think, you know, you hear, um, you know, FEMA Administrator Fugit talking a lot about a whole community approach. And really that comes down to, to looking at the fact that there are so many different groups that can bring things, you know, to the table, you know, for an effective response and also for recovery operations as well. I think hey, Paul, Paul, can I just ask you one thing that really would appeal to these guys, and that is say a quick word, if you would, about the MOU interest on behalf of the acting, acting Calima director with the industry, because I think that's really interesting to these guys. Just going to cover that. You know, one of the things that we've been looking at um, out here in California is, you know, the state has actually gone out and negotiated MOUs with different, um, you know, segments of the private sector. And so there's, uh, they've done some work with insurance companies, they've done some work with banks, um, you know, they've done um, an agreement with the Grocers Association. And, you know, we, uh, actually, Gary and I were, were meeting with the secretary at Cal EMA um, recently, and we, we suggested that they start looking at perhaps um, developing an MOU with the restoration industry. You know, and, and the purpose of these MOUs is like, you have to kind of step back and say, okay, you as an industry, if you're involved in the restoration industry, what are the impediments that you face in terms of being able to do your job in order to provide services to those survivors? What can government do to actually make your jobs easier? And that's really the kind of objective of these MOUs is to figure out how can government innocent get out of the way and make things a lot easier for the private sector to respond. And so, you know, I think it's a very exciting time. I mean, I'm really glad that uh, the state has aggressively moved forward to, to start looking at de developing these actual MOUs with private sector partners. I think it's a, it's a great, um, you know, it's a great path for the future. All right. Joe, uh, do you have a final question or would you like to go to round up? You know, I, I do just have a final one, then I'm going to have to leave a little early. First, okay. I want to thank both um, Gary and Paul for joining us this week. It's been really interesting. And, and before I go, maybe I'll take my roundup question now. But I, I'm wondering, Paul, do all the states have similar types of setups as, as what you had out in California? Or is it because, you know, California, Texas, and Florida – and some of the other states are more prone to these types of issues, they're more proactive in that respect. Can you give us a little overview of, of that issue? And by the way, I really appreciate you bringing up the private sector people and how uh, the state and the feds are trying to work with the private sector people to kind of get out of the way at times. Yes. Um, I think that, you know, your, your comments are important. I mean, I think that there are, you know, states, um, California, Texas, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, there's some states out there that have um, a lot more disaster. I hesitate to use the term disaster prone. I mean, you know, the fact is there are states that do have more disasters than other states. I think that those states, by necessity, have, um, you know, been forced to look at the problems uh, perhaps in more creative ways than states that don't have um, as much of a disaster history. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, you'll find that there's a lot of similar approaches being tried um, out in the states that have a lot of disasters. But what's happening, I think what's been really exciting um, to me in, in you know, looking at this from my you know, career vantage point is the fact that 
it seems like every year things get better. That is, the coordination gets better. People recognize um, these issues um, in similar ways. And you, so even in states that don't have as many disasters, you're seeing them, you know, start picking up some of these things that were developed, say, in Florida or California or Texas. And so, you know, I think that there's been some tremendous change across emergency management in the, in the entire country, and I think that these changes have been for the, uh, for the better. Okay. Specifically in terms of the way that the private sector is dealt with. All right, Joe, have a great class. Let's round up. Okay, Pete, we're going to give you an uh, opportunity to uh, ask a, a question or make a comment, and then we'll move to Dieter, and uh, then I'll, I'll go, and then we'll give the guest the last word. So go ahead, Pete. All right, great. Thanks, Cliff. Well, great interview, guys. Very informative. I, uh, Gary, this is kind of a combination of a, of a question and a comment, and I'll kind of make the, the comment, and then you can kind of address it. There's a government organization out there called the um, Community uh, resilient Institute, and, and they deal with resilient communities. It's uh, not sure whether it's connected with FEMA or not, or it's probably under the Department of Energy, uh, Community and Regional Resilient Institute. And this is something that Cliff is aware of, uh, kind of in a, a joint venture between IEQA and RAA a few years ago. We got in and invited to go out there to participate, and they had... Um, the mayor of uh, Gulf Shores and the mayor of Charleston was actually in Charleston, South Carolina. They talked about how these communities came back after Katrina and some of these other events. And so they have this message. It seems that it should tie in with the Safely Out message that talks about how communities can become more resilient. And it's really uh, it's kind of a frame of mind in a way of thinking. It isn't just about doing the cleanup. It's about preparing yourself to be resilient. And they actually... They've just been publishing a few news releases within the last few weeks because they have a bunch of stuff available on their websites. But hold on, I'm looking here. I guess there's about seven or eight communities around the country that have already kind of signed up for this program. And um, one of them was out there in California. I think it's in Anaheim. Yep, here they are. Seven, seven leading communities are going to pilot this community resilient uh, program starting in Anaheim, two counties in, in Maryland, Annapolis, Charleston. Uh, Tri-State County area, South Carolina, a community in Alabama, Greenwich, Connecticut, and uh, then the Mississippi Gulf region, and then also a community in Tennessee. So um, this is something I think um, is good for the listeners of the program to be aware. But uh, wanted to find out, um, you know, your your comments, and uh, of course, Paul, you know, being involved with the with the, 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 you know, a lot of the disaster, maybe the Office of Emergency Service in California. So anyway, that's uh, kind of my question and my comment. I uh, really, um, you know, enjoyed the discussion, and I hope it'll, I think it'll be useful to people in the industry. Thanks, Pete. I'm going to toss this one to Paul because, Paul, that's kind of right in your wheelhouse about disaster-resistant, disaster-resilient communities. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that uh, I, I believe that the resiliency movement, I'll call it, um, is a very important one. You know, I think too often in the past we were really much, very much focused on, you know, our response and recovery operations, and we weren't thinking as much about, well, how do we avoid having to respond and recover? And I think that resiliency starts really looking at that question. It doesn't say that we're not going to have disasters and we're not going to have to respond and recover. How can we bounce back um, more quickly? And really a lot of that will depend on effective you know, hazard mitigation strategies and also your know, preparedness. And, you know, it really um, demands a kind of a more holistic view, you know, of emergency management, which I think is very, very important. I think the safety out, um, you know, fits into that because, you know, at the core of all of this, you know, is the individual and the family. If they're not prepared, you know, then that will put pressure on the system something does, in fact, happen. And so I think the safety out message, you know, really helps build into that whole, you know, that resiliency um, thinking in that community. And, um, you know, I haven't heard about this initiative 
Um, I've been involved in several other types of resiliency initiatives in California and elsewhere, and you know, I'll definitely you know kind of you know do a little bit of research on this one to see you know we can talk to folks down in Anaheim in particular. Yeah, let me do one quick follow-up in this clip. Paul, what, one of the things I'll do is uh, when the interview's over here, I'll, I can actually send you an email with the links to you and Gary on that. But I, I was noticing in here in one of the releases, Gary, and this may be something, I don't know whether you're aware of this, the government actually has a, a website, www.citizenscore.gov, and, and that was actually in this release where they're actually telling people, hey, uh, you know, go to this website and try to get involved in your area, and that sounds like Citizen's Voice, you know, it's kind of right in the same neighborhood. So I, I thought it was interesting. There's definitely a connection here. I think that when you guys go visit their site and take a look at some of that stuff, I think it'd be something you'd want to, you'd want to get involved with, uh, you know, uh, both your organizations. Yeah, we are definitely aware of Citizen Corps, Pete, and, uh, and uh, are looking to get them involved with us here going forward. So thanks for that. I really appreciate it. I'm sure those links are going to be helpful. Yeah, and I should, I should mention that, um, you know, my role as a commissioner with the California Volunteers Commission out here in California, Cal Volunteers, is that Citizen Corps, um, you know, kind of overhead. And so, um, you know, all the Citizen Corps programs fall under um, the California Volunteers Agency. Yeah, hey, Paul, uh, Paul actually, the, I guess they have a, a special website that calls the roadmap to this whole thing, and it's just resilientus.org, www.resilient uppercase u uppercase s dot org but um I'll, I'll send you a couple of these things that they recently put out you can probably uh just join their newsletter and, and that kind of stuff and i think it'd be helpful and very informative great. so anyway great interview guys cliff thanks for letting me join in on the roundup i'll pass it back to you yeah pete again thanks for joining us we appreciate all you do uh let's go over to dieter <laughs> Comment or question, Dieter? We lost him? Okay, we disconnected. Okay, well, Gary and Paul, we always like to give our guests the last word, but before we do that, I have one question, uh, which is from a listener. How can interested people get involved? Well, there's, there's really the, the simplest thing and most important thing to do right now is to have people jump on our website. They can either access it just through safelyout.org, where you have that URL, or citizenvoice.org. Either way, get into the website, find out more about what we've been talking about today. There you can drop us an email, uh, express your interest, or call us, and we'll be happy to talk to you about talk to you more and uh, get you involved. Okay. Well, Gary, uh, is there any final comment or anything that you'd like to say or add? Well, I will just add one more piece that we didn't get a chance to get into today, and that is the, with the Westfield Corporation. People may know this, the largest mall operator in the United States, huge. There's a gigantic Westfield Mall here in Roseville that was subject to an arson fire, unfortunately, $75 million in damage. It's going to reopen next week. What's very special about that and very cool is that the Westfield people took it upon themselves to say, you know what, we want to make this not just a grand reopening in time for the holidays, we, and, and half the mall was shut down initially. It was really a tragic deal. They said, we want to do something into the community. They have become a sponsor of the Safely Out project. They wrote us a check for $10,000 immediately and said, we want 1,000 Safely Out kits to get out to the employees in this mall and the families in this community. That's going to happen. That grand reopening, they're going to feature Safely Out in just a couple of weeks. I just want to sort of leave that as a positive example. You know, in a day when people have so many things, again, people are worried about, here's some folks, big retailers, stepping up to the plate, and we want to do something positive. They selected Safely Out, and we couldn't be more proud to be partnering with them. Just a great way to sort of end on a Friday and go into the weekend on a positive note. Paul, what about you? Anything you'd like to add or any final comment? Uh, just as a final comment, I really appreciate the opportunity to join in today um, as part of this interview. I think it's been uh, – it was good. I really appreciated the questions. I thought they were excellent, and um, it was you know, wonderful to be able to, you know, to address your audience. Well, thank you very much. And- uh, we want to thank today's guests, Gary Dietrich and Paul Jacks from Safely Out, my co-host, Radio Joe Hughes, our engineer, Austin Novak, our technical director, Dr. Dieter Weil, uh, the watchdog, Pete Kinsigli, for calling in. But most importantly, we want to thank you, our growing group of, of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. Do you have any doubts about your decision? Um, no. 
I don't have any doubts at all. Man, it's very tough. Um, we all know Rome wasn't built in one day. Rome wasn't built in one day. Rome, 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 Rome wasn't built in one day. At the end of the day, you gotta go out there and you gotta play. I don't even like this guy. Got a lot of work to do. I'm gonna take my town, so my my town, so I'm gonna take my town, so South Beach. I'm gonna take my town, so my my town. The king coming to South Beach. We believe it's gonna be easy. No one ever said it was gonna be easy. We believe it's gonna be easy. I expect to win multiple championships. It's gonna be real Hollywood down there. But at the end of the day, you gotta go out there and you gotta play. We all know Rome wasn't built in one day. Hollywood wasn't built in one day. At the end of the day, you gotta go out there and you gotta play. Rome, 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 Rome wasn't built in one day. You know, I just keep fouling them late in games and I won't continue to do that. We believe it's gonna be easy. Oh, never said it was gonna be easy. We believe it's gonna be easy. This season is over. At the end of the day, all the people would have the same personal problems they had today. We all know Rome wasn't built in one day. Hollywood wasn't built in one day. At the end of the day, you gotta go out there, you gotta play. Rome, 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 Rome wasn't built in one day. This has been another IAQ Radio production. Call recording has been completed.